The mission of the Pennsylvania Department of Education is to ensure that every learner has access to a world-class education system. Welcome to PDE Presents, a podcast series for lifelong learners that's dedicated to elevating voices across the Commonwealth. And now your host, Noe Ortega. Welcome to PDE Presents. I'm your host, Noe Ortega. PDE Presents is part of a broader strategy by the Pennsylvania Department of Education aimed at changing the way we think and talk about the mission and outcomes of education in the Commonwealth and across the country. Through this strategy, the department aims to shine a spotlight on the greater public good and collective mission of education. This podcast invites leaders, educators, and other stakeholders to participate in a conversation that unpacks contemporary topics in education with a focus on equity. My guest today is Dr. Brenda Allen, the 14th president of Lincoln University, the first degree granting historically black college and university located here in Pennsylvania. Since its founding in 1854, Lincoln University has solidified its legacy as an institution that fosters an environment for students to grow and contribute to society as businessmen and women, regional and global leaders, innovators, and educators. Dr. Allen, welcome to PDE Presents. Thank you, good to be here. Glad you're here. So for those, Dr. Allen, who might be virtually meeting you for the first time, what is something that you might be willing to share with our listeners about who you are as a professional and how you approach your work? That's a great question. Well, my whole professional life has really been dedicated to creating spaces and opportunities for people of color to actually get a great education so that they can go out into the world and be full participants in society. Um, As an instructor or teacher, I did that through my classroom activities. As a citizen, as a part of a faculty, I worked really closely with my university colleagues to ensure that our campus was welcoming, that our faculty sort of understood where some of the um, distance might come between their ability to reach women of color versus the general population and really work on policies that would make it a more welcoming environment for, for all people. I then moved into administration, able to do that at a higher institutional level. So in the predominantly white institutions where I worked, all of my work was around diversity. So again, creating an opportunity for students of color in particular to be able to take advantage of full advantage of opportunities at those schools and mostly to help the institutions themselves rethink who they were. Um, Working at a place like Smith College or working at Brown University, you know, the job was really to convince people that, you know, 200 years of of exclusive sort of um, presence in the world had to really be shifted to one of inclusion. And how do you do that? when you begin to look at what you value, how you see the world, who you see as valuable and worthy of that education. So that guided my work there. And then coming back into the black college environment, um, again, um, the focus doesn't change. So even in our institutions where we have these long histories and missions of trying to support African-American students in their education and their post-graduation success, there are still many, many barriers, many perceptions about who our students are, uh, what intelligence looks like, and then what our role is to make sure that our students can graduate um, and be successful as 
any of their colleagues who attend colleges anywhere else. And so generally my leadership is guided by just a real value and commitment to equity. And um, it's manifested both as a teacher and an administrator. Um, I've done that in predominantly white environments as well as in the HBCU environments. And you know, for me, that's one of the most important things I can do um, with my career. Well, Dr. Allen, even before I had the pleasure to meet you, your reputation had already made its way to me as somebody who's really been championing for students of color in every institution you've been to. So I can attest to many of the things that you share. I feel like nothing prepared you and I for the challenges that happened this year, challenges that have changed the educational landscape forever. When we think about the pandemic, that's one. When we think about the civil unrest that we've seen over the past year, that's yet another one. Do you mind if I ask, what do you feel is one of the most pressing matters in the field of education at the moment? So I only get one. Uh, I might have to have two. Sure, I'll give you two. <laughs> so, you know, one of the most important lessons we learned, I think, is we learned the power of technology and we also learned the limitations of technology. And so as we move forward into whatever the new normal is, you know, one of the ways in which technology became a real advantage, um, although we had to do a lot to make sure that there was equal access to that, was that we were able to deliver continuity of education for our students. Um, what ended up being, you know, a negative for some, but a positive for others is that at a place like Lincoln, we reduce density on campus. So many of our students are studying remotely. From a financial standpoint, that may be a good thing for them this year. From an academic standpoint, I've been saying to people, our students are persevering, but they're really not thriving. So I think the downfall of technology, especially for um, students who really thrive in a face-to-face, hands-on sort of an education, also for students that we serve where the community itself, the campus, is a place that's also transformative. To be able to bring them back and still use technology, but not to the extent that we've been using it through the pandemic, because um, I think that we really came to understand the importance of place, the social capital that many of our students have access to when they're actually on campus. Um, and also just really learning that education is not just about the courses, but it's really about the wraparound experiences of being in higher education. And so as we move back into the new normal, I think we're gonna be challenged in helping people to balance against you know, financially, you know, it's less to probably offer education through remote context. But from a learning standpoint, I think we have to understand that it's not the most powerful form of learning for a lot of the students we serve. And I think that's the same thing for K through 12. You know, students may have been able to keep up, but we know the importance of socialization, just having access. Sometimes it's just really important to be able to put your eyes on people so that you're able to see um, just where they are. Sometimes that visual lets you know what people need. And you know, second thing, you know, with all this stuff happening simultaneously, and we look at the unrest and the um, the Black Lives Matter movement and the and the real rededication to social justice, 
you know, I, I think we're still challenged to move forward. I made a statement at the Harrisburg hearings and someone asked, well, what do you think the um, lasting, the lasting sort of effect of those, of those protests were? And I was like, for me, it really reminds us of, of a, a coffee book, um, coffee table book that I have that's called Least We Not Forget. And I think what happened is for many people, it may have awakened in them um, something that they never really considered. But for many people, it was a reminder that we've come far, but we still have a long way to go. And I think from an educational standpoint, we really need to recognize that we, um, we, we, it will behoove us to redouble our efforts in really making sure that all students understand the history of racial justice or injustice in this society and really use liberal education as a way of preparing them to really be a strong voice in, in moving democracy forward. And so I've started to just look at what we do and do not do. And you look at that historically across the ways in which especially HBCU campuses were either focused on these issues are not focused on these issues. And for me, I think we've been relaxed while the issues have not fully gone away. And so I believe that a challenge is making sure that we keep these ideas in front, especially in front of students so that the conversation can continue and that progress is not the sort of stop and start, but that we are really seeing consistent progress um, as we move more people out into the conversation. Couldn't agree with you more, Dr. Allen, with regards to some of the challenges that many of our young folks have experienced and then the importance of not losing sight of the role that education, higher education plays in terms of thinking about some of these public collective good outcomes. And I think that's something that uh, with many individuals like yourself in leadership, you remind folks that this is not just about the transactional outcomes but the mission-centered outcomes that uh, are clear in the mission of Lincoln University. I wonder if you can tell uh, our listeners, what are some of the things that you and your team are doing to sort of rethink the system of education, uh, maybe even address some of the challenges that folks have experienced, um, and how is it being approached from an equity perspective? So from, from um, for me, it really, the whole, the whole time in the context of this year really sent me back to things that pretty much occupied all my space when I was a chief diversity officer. And somehow you move into this new job and it's always there and it's always guiding how I think, but the focus that I have had on equity in the past in, in terms of just interacting with the campus and the people that I'm, I'm, I'm involved in it, it wasn't as front and center center as it had been in the past when it was really my job to make sure I moved those agendas on those campuses where I worked. And so I've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of weeks or so rereading things about equity. What does equity mean? What does it really mean to be student ready as an institution? And starting to challenge um, everyone on my campus to, to rethink who they are. And the thing that has just really occurred to me, and maybe people realize this before, but I think at historically black colleges, we think we have a pass on that, right? 
we think because our mission has historically been about sort of creating opportunities in education for African Americans that we do not engage in processes and things that are are influenced by just the persistent um, racial structures that sort of form the foundation of society and especially education and in particular higher education. And so as we look at how we operate every day, um, the policies, the way we communicate with, with students, we carry some of the same implicit bias that you know, I work so hard with faculty and staff at, at Brown University, for example, to get them in touch with and to really understand that even as people of color, we are not immune to the same sort of meaning systems, the same sort of stereotypes. If we start to look at our own data, where, who are students who are really thriving? And who are those that are actually getting caught in the pipeline? You know, generally they're coming from families that really don't have the kind of knowledge about how to be good consumers of the education that we offer. Things as simple as what does the award letter for financial aid really look like? And, and have we really helped to educate people about making a good choice um, in terms of the funds that are available to them? And, um, you know, have we done enough? And um, it's surprising, but not surprising to me that um, many people are taken aback just by that, that question, because we believe that we have done everything that we can and the students just have not responded. And that's pretty much what the argument is generally in society. Well, you know, we have scholarships or we're, you know, students can now apply to these schools, but they don't have, they can't do, they don't know, as opposed to what are you doing to make sure that you are opening access um, to a wide range of, of students. And for us, that means the wide range of backgrounds um, that our students are coming from, you know, we serve primarily African Americans, but they come from all of the economic levels. They come from different sort of vantage points in terms of what college really means. And if we really have a mission to serve our students, we need to really meet all of them where they are. And that means we have to do the sort of introspection as an institution, turn that microscope inside and try to understand um, just what some of the barriers might be. So even though a student can get accepted here, have we really made their transition one that 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 is as smooth as a student who doesn't have to worry about money, for example? I gave them the the example of um, they were telling me about check-in and there were about you know a few students who showed up for rooms and had not done the the requisite financial clearance. And we were taking some sort of, you know, pats on our back because we would just send them back and tell them, well, if you do this and you do this, and eventually they got through and they got cleared. And so my question back to them was, what would it feel like if you were in line and your credit card got declined and everybody's looking at you, you know, the, the sense of embarrassment and shame never occurred to us because we thought our, our response was, well, when the room is the carrot, then they'll do what they need to do in order to get the key. And the question is, to 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 what um, sort of attack on their personal sense of self do we have to use that carrot? 
And, I, you know, it made me remember that when I was at Smith, that was one of the biggest things that white faculty had a problem with was when students of color came in and they had to be in the long financial aid line and all the other students were going about with their orientation. And they demanded that the university do something to make sure that that didn't happen because they knew that it would affect the, the student's sense of belonging. But we, we just, we thought it was just right that we would use this sort of punitive approach and that would make people do what it is that they needed to do. And, you know, my response to that is that's not what equity is about, right? So equity is about you trying to understand why are they in that line without the things they need to have done and how might we avoid that in the future? So having to change the conversation here, just as I had to change the conversation at Brown, just as I had to change the conversation at Smith. And I, I think that being aware of that, being so acutely aware of that in this, in, at, at this moment was driven just a lot by what happened. Um, you know, Black Lives Really Matter, they really have to matter on an HBCU campus as well. Dr. Allen, thank you for shedding light on the fact that there's been this year such a push to go back to normal routine operations when you point out that there's some things in the normal and routine that wasn't equitable, right? That needs to be uh, revisited. And I appreciate you for sharing light on that. I wanna take us to a, a, a question to move us towards wrapping up Dr. Allen, which is the work that you've been talking about. When you lead from a lens of equity, when you try to create this transformational change, it can be challenging and sometimes straining. And then when you consider everything else that's happening around you while you're trying to achieve your goals and the missions of the university, uh, it's not easy. I wonder if you have any advice or strategy for our listeners and what you might share with them on those who want to take similar leadership roles. How do you take care of yourself? What do you recommend them to do or for them to do in order to make sure that they're not burned out? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, burnout is something that we're always trying to fight against. Um, you know, for me, it's all about balance. Um, so in many ways, what I do and what I value is is really no different than who I am. So there's a lot of, of just good complement between what I try to do in my workplace and how I try to live my life. Um, and that sort of helps because I'm not going in and out of identities. In fact, it's just my identity, right? So that's very helpful. But, you know, you also have to know when, when to bring it down, right? So when you need to sort of let it go. I always give this example. I was, I was a, a new junior faculty member at Smith um, early in my career and got really caught up in this conversation the faculty were having. It was all about sexual harassment policy and you know, all the different sides to that. And given the conversation going on in New York, it just brought back some really bad memories. But I remember being all fired up and just, um, just over the top with emotion and feeling. And at that point, I, was, I helped to raise my, my niece who was a, a toddler at that time. And so I left the faculty meeting just, just steaming, right? And I go pick her up and some kids had put some sand in her hair. And, um, you know, a little black girl with sand in her hair is, is not an easy task, especially since she had like a hundred braids in there that I had just put in there like the night before. 
and I had to quickly turn my attention to what really matters. So I had to, you know, get this kid home, get these braids out of her hair, wash her hair and, you know, get her ready. And it just really brought back to me that, you know, while I can be passionate and I can work hard, um, there's also pieces of me where my family, my friends, um, matter as well. And that when I take care of, of them and I take care of my community and I engage with them, I'm actually taking care of myself. And so I try to make sure that I always have time for family and friends, that I always have time to just sort of be off from the job. And even people who know me sometimes and they try to come to things that I have and someone's there trying to do work when I'm at play, I have friends who'll be like, she's not doing that today. You know, I'm, 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 I'm thankful for that because you, you do have to, to understand that if we go at top speed all the time, um, we're going to burn ourselves out and then we're no good to anyone. And so for me, it's sort of really going back to who I am as a community person, as a family person to really engage the things that I think have made me strong is that community it's the way we treat each other that has influenced how I treat people out in the world. And that refreshes me all the time. And, and so that, you know, that, that for me is the thing that sort of keeps me sane. Dr. Allen, I can't thank you enough. I feel like what you've really highlighted throughout this entire uh, episode is that uh, really focusing on the things that matter. Uh, whether it's family, whether it's advocating for the lives of the students who are enrolled at the historically black college and other places, but truly also to be sort of authentic self in terms of the leadership. And to me, I think that's a real important lesson for our leadership, for our listeners to think about when they think about their leadership. Dr. Allen, thank you for joining us today. And let me just personally add that it has been an absolute pleasure and privilege talking with you. Thank you to all those who joined us today for PDE Presents as well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. I'm Noe Ortega. I'll see you next time on PDE Presents. Production and technical assistance provided by the Harrisburg branch of the Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network. <laughs>